Welcome on. Thank you for tuning in to the Bad Hombres FC podcast, the podcast feature, focusing and featuring soccer from the DMV and across the United States. My name is Jose Omania, sports writer for the Sports Pulse, and joining me as always is our co-host, Mario Maya from the Tiempo Latino. How are you doing today, bro? I am doing excellent. You know, chilling on a Sunday and in a unrelated soccer note, congratulations to the Georgetown Hoyas on winning the Big East Tournament. A stunner, a stunner, and you're talking about basketball. Even though they're doing well, they're, I believe, in the top five in soccer. But, yeah, congrats to them. And I meant I was to say in, unreli- in, uh, in a non-soccer note, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> but soccer-wise, they're in the top five. So congrats to them, soccer-wise and basketball side, uh, side to them. Um, speaking of, before we get to college-age soccer players, uh, participating in future soccer matches. We have to talk about what's going on currently with our home team, DC United. They have just started preseason training on March 8th. They've released the current preseason squad. I say current because there's just a lot of moving parts. If you want all the details, go on dcunited.com. But the main things we'll touch on today is, A, how we feeling, uh, now that preseason starts, and B, we have some confirmed signings, people coming in. We have some preseason schedule dates already out, and some additional news about will fans come out. So let's start with the basics. Number one, DC United has acquired uh, Giovanni Bolivar officially. We talked about him in the last episode. He's officially coming to DC United on a one-year loan. Also, in a string of just a lot of additions, they officially also confirmed Brendan Hines-Ike on a one-year loan, and then they signed their draft pick, Kamari Smith. It's almost official, ladies and gentlemen, per Stephen Goff and reports out of Cincinnati this morning, Atlas is going to uh, take Lucho Costa uh, off their books and sell him to Cincinnati. When that happens... DC United will receive 325k in general allocation money for this year and 225k next year. Mario, before we get to all the preseason stuff, thoughts on all this roster development now that we're officially getting started with the preseason? Man, that means we're one step closer to the pre- to the regular season, my friend. So I'm officially excited about this. Uh so yeah, I mean, with everything going on, I think that the how the way the roster is being constructed right now is pretty interesting. But all in all, the excitement's in the air. We're official. We're officially heading into into what you call the uh, stretch home to the regular season. Yeah, I just like how once again DC United was able to fleece something out of nothing when it came to Lucho, um, and I and I'm glad that. You know, while everybody would want that 500K straight up or whatever is 550K straight up, I'm actually glad that it's being spread out. I like to think of the future a little bit. And, you know, DC9 is not going to bring, you know, like a cap striker this upcoming offseason. Everybody's going to be cash strapped due to the pandemic. So the fact that they're getting the majority chunk this year getting the rest of it next year. That's exciting. I am excited now that training camp has started. Now I'm seeing we've got our new center back in. Just the changes of this team and how it's going to play. 
like you have mentioned, and he has mentioned constantly, um, Coach Losada plays with a three back most of the time when since he's been coach. We have a lot of depth, you know, just going through the uh, preliminary roster. We're talking about Burnbaum's out for now, but because of surgery. But we have Bryant, uh, Michael DeShield, Jacob Green, the academy uh, player. You have Heinz Ike, who we just said officially here on loan. Joseph Mora, Chris Duyatsum, and Donovan Pines. There's going to be a lot of guys battling for th- for three positions. So I'm curious to see where he goes and. You know, as a new coach, you don't want to interrupt certain flows. I feel like that back line has been the most solid thing on this team for the past five years. You're going to be interrupting something, a pretty good chemistry there, especially since Burnbaum's not going to start the season. Right. So this, it's weirdly enough, opens up the door to see who you play at center back and see who takes that role from Burnbaum earlier in the season. But I think this one of those weird weird positions that you're in that you can't that you have now that depth in defense that you didn't quite particularly have last season so that's always a good thing going forward for um for dc united and for Hernan Losada. so it's kind of a good situation to have the now coming into the lucho acosta situation it seems that Americans aren't the only ones getting their money from the stimulus check dc united's getting its own stimulus package <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it, it, it gives you that opportunity. Like we're getting, you're getting the, the, the money in increments. So it, it gives you that chance. It gives you that opportunity to see, okay, we got 225,000 to spend extra. Where are we going to spend it on? I don't expect someone to go to say DC United's going to go for a top striker or a top or top defender or whatever you have you in the position, but it gives them the opportunity to get someone that's with, that can be very useful at a pretty decent price in whatever position they they need to fill in whatever gaps they need to fill. But other than that, like the con- just the construction of this team coming alone, it is pretty interesting because it's younger. In past in past seasons, you've seen that DC under Ben Olsen, like I want to say the first few years, the construction of the team was pretty much older. I don't want to say that's a bad thing, but again. When you're a team that you have like certain expectations, it was more of that win now mentality. Now under Nan Losada, you bring in a a bunch of young play of younger players into the, into the fold. In particular, bringing in Giovanni Bolivar, who's 19 years old, and bringing in and uh, pretty much and also bringing in Brandon Hines Ike, someone with European experience, someone that's played in Belgium, and someone that. Hernan Losada has witnessed probably numerous times on the field while playing in Belgium and being a head coach in Belgium, you're getting the sense of we're going to build a team full of youth, but we're going to implement veteran leadership onto it as well. And so come, it's coming into, into fruition for Hernan Losada. It's just more of how is it good? How do you execute this properly? Right. And that I, when you see 24, 25 players coming in the preseason, but only two players are listed as trialists, it makes me curious as to, A, are the academy kids in their role on the roster? 
and B, you signed all your draft picks. Normally, in recent years, DC United doesn't sign all its draft picks coming out of the draft. They may sign the top draft pick, and then essentially then send him or you know send him to um, send Loudon. him to Loudon. Or if if it doesn't work in training camp, they just let him go because that's what you could. And that could happen here. But they signed both number one picks. I'm curious as to a who out of the academy world comes through and goes with the first team. You know, I am concerned about with all these new players coming in. Where does that leave like a Kevin Paredes and his role on the team? Uh, Moses Nyman, who needs those minutes in the center of the field, and where does it put? these new additions from, you know, Michael DeShields or Kamari Smith, Kamari Smith, you would think he would, him and Jordy Reyna would be the ones competing for that number two slot. If they play with a two striker lineup, you would think, you know, the, the addition of Bolivar, he's going to be competing with an older man in Kamara, but then you have Adrian Perez who's coming in from LAFC. So you have all these little pieces here or there. I'm wondering if they're considering a move, trading someone prior to, because that's DC United's MO in recent years, trading to get a more established player, or how many of these younger players are going to stick with the main the main roster and how many are going to go to Loudoun. For those who don't remember, five players are allowed to go back and forth between Loudoun and DC, and a couple will have a permanent residency with Loudon for the season to get minutes. I'm curious because normally they won't put it on an established person. They more than likely put it on a player that is younger, needs the minutes right away. So I could totally see Kamari Smith, for example, going to Loudon. I could see maybe, you know, they just signed Jacob Green, their academy center back. I could totally see him going to Loudon with all these new additions. I'm intrigued. I want to see how they perform preseason as well. Right. So I think I think that's just one of those interesting dilemmas to have. But I, I could totally see Kamari Smith going to to Loudon, playing a season at Loud, playing a season at Loudon, because I think that uh, the competition for uh, in the four in the forward position in particular is going to be pretty cutthroat. So I don't I don't see. I see a scenario where Kamari Smith goes to Loudon. I think I see a scenario where Michael DeShields plays some games with Loudon for parts of the season. And then, you know, Green as well going to play some games with uh, with Loudon United. So I think with the younger players, you can see more of a situation that they'll they'll go to play at Loudon to just get their feet wet and just get their feet under them, to be honest with you, uh, as the, as they start their professional careers. Uh them letting go of one of their draft picks, probably highly unlikely. But then again, this is DC United. We're talking about anything is possible. So all, all in all, one more time, you got, you're going to have that competition for players gunning for spots. And then you also have trialists in Andy Nahar and Rodney Wallace that are also going to be gunning for a top spot with DC United. And what makes those two interesting is that you got a player like Andy who can flip between midfielder, defender, and forward. He's so versatile. And then you have Ronnie Wallace, who's a Costa Rican international, could play defense, but also has played the majority of his career at midfield. Brings in depth in that wing role, especially with Pariola out. You know, it's so much. 
those two really could be the difference makers in terms of how this team lines up for opening day. Um, just to give people some line, like, you know, some schedule for their the map on the head, you know, that calendar that's going to be coming up uh, shortly. So you have DCU on the 15th. So that's um, that was yet uh, f- the 15th. That will be Monday. They will be heading to Cary, North Carolina for training. And then they will have a preseason friendly on the 20th. It's still not determined who they will play, but they will play that in North Carolina before then returning back to D.C. They will have fr- another friendly with Loudoun United on the on the 26th before they play three extra friendlies before the season st- starts. And that's with the Philadelphia Union, New York City FC, and the Red Bulls. Out of those three friendlies, I'm kind of more interested in the Red Bull friendly. United really has, in recent years, struggled against the Red Bulls. This will probably be the biggest, the where we'll see most of the lineup uh, before opening day. So that's the team you want to test your lineup with, in my opinion, uh, with New York Red Bulls. So uh, we'll sh- we shall see. I- I'm curious to see how it goes going forward and. Um, curious who steps up and who is going to be in the new starting lineup. Right. I think the red, yeah, the red bulls game is going to be one of those, those two red bulls games are going to be your, your ultimate finesse test. Sorry. One game against the red bulls. <laughs> I think, uh, they, it's going to be that because it's the final preseason game prior to the start of the season. So you'll have an idea of what the starting lineup is going to look like heading into the into the 17th when you start the season against New York City FC. I think the Philadelphia Union is going to be a really good first test considering that Philadelphia won the Eastern Conference won the Eastern Conference and won the Supporters Shield last year. So they're and they're coming into somewhat of small changes losing guys like Brandon Aronson who went to Europe over to Europe in the uh, off season. So all in all it's going to be one it's going to be it's three good tests. Just to te- just to test out where this team stands and what they're looking like at the start of the season. Also, the Latin United game is going to be pretty interesting. You know, the uh, DMV derby. We'll dub it that right now. <laughs> uh, big brother against little brother. That should also be. That's going to be less of an interesting test. It's just more of an interesting proposition to see DC United play their affiliate club. Well, I think that those players that are returning to go play at Loudoun, they have several who want to show the new boss, you know, hey, if you ever need a striker and you're out of them, I'm ready, I'm on the call for you. So I, I don't, I, I think that's going to be fun. As always, we'll be keeping an eye on preseason. And I think out of all the preseasons in the past decade and a half, this is going to be the one that I think fans are going to pay attention to the most, not just because of Hernan Lozada, but just all the changes. You know, I've been noticing on DCI's social media accounts, people that I know uh, are very much <laughs> agitators of the club. Very, They're fans, but they're also like curious and want changes. They've been more positive about their commentary this season. Um, <laughs> this offseason. Right. And, and then also you got to realize that this, this preseason is short. It's shorter than the other previous preseasons. But I think it's more action-packed. I think because MLS did extend it a little bit because of what was happening with the labor. I Usually United plays 
four matches. They're playing five matches. They normally play a tournament, so they're very much like, you know, tournament style where you suck, you, you compact everything, you're using multiple lineups. Now it's every week. You get to see what you're seeing in training, and then boom, match day. It's similar to what you would do during a season. Training, whoever shows up, then match day. I, I like that it's flowing like it's going to flow during the season versus just you play a tournament, uh, three matches in seven days type deal, and then you're using multiple squad rotations. I feel like we're going to see more of a constant lineup this preseason than we did in pre previous ones. Right. And so now you get to really test, just really test to see what the team's made out of. And you get to test the flip, just the chemistry going into this pre into this preseason and so this is going to be – these are really good litmus tests going into it. And, again, it helps that the preseason's like, a lot more shorter. Usually the preseason lasts about, what, a month and a half, maybe two months at the most. Mm -hmm. This one's only lasting about a month, maybe three weeks. You get three games, and then, boom, you start the season. So, all in all, this should be, this should be one interesting uh, endeavor going – going into the uh, final into the final stretch into the home stretch going into the season right but um to our other home club of the washington spirit um something that was just needing confirmation and it looks like we've received it via a report from the washington city paper uh the washington spirit will host fans at segra field for their two nwsl challenge cup matches on april 16th Against a racing Louisville FC. Why? And, <laughs> Terrible name. <laughs> and April 27th versus Sky Blue FC. Uh, the spokesman of the team told the city paper that a maximum of a thousand people will be allowed into the matches. Uh, that's per the county policy that entertainment and public amusement venues can have up to a thousand people or 30% capacity, whichever is lower. Uh, they're still finalizing some details and we'll release more as we get closer to those days for the Challenge Cup. Head coach Richie Burke had a media availability. Um, he kind of leaked out in a way <laughs> um, some of this information prior to this Washington City paper story. But let's hear Richie Burke real quick. Now we're waiting for um, a waiver approval from D.C. government. Um... And my understanding is that that's now been, and, and Jordan will be able to correct you if I'm wrong, uh, I think that's now been agreed to. I think it now comes down to a kickoff time that we're looking for, and it's, it's going to be at Audi. My understanding is we'll play at Audi. So that is Richie Burke. It seems like he may have leaked something different, and that is uh, the Washington Spirit and D.C. United working together to try and get fans at D.C., um, just to speed things up, Mayor Mary Bowser was asked earlier this week on the request from the Nationals being denied and just in general when sports teams will be allowed back to have fans at their venues. Here's the long and short of it, quote, we want to look at all our interventions as we look towards the middle of March. I think the science information is suggesting we'll have a better understanding of how each of these variants are moving and what are all our interventions. We can kind of we kind of are in level two and we'll see if we can open more things up in phase two. So that would include our sporting venues and other business things. So my expectation is we will be loosening 
uh, now or even more later. Unquote. Mario, first off, your thoughts on Segra hosting fans and the possibility of, heck, even before the summertime, we may have fans back at the venues. Uh, interesting. I think uh, that just shows like everything that's going on in the country where they're slowly opening things up. I know certain states decided, hey, let's just open everything up and continue like life is normal. But it's showing that there is a progression that the virus is slowing down. But then again, that's just, in my opinion, not not how how everybody would feel. You you still have to proceed with caution and follow everything that's going on going on with, with the virus and take it seriously. But I think it is a step forward when you hear you're allowed to have at least a thousand fans at Segra and seeing that some places are loosening up a little their uh, COVID restrictions, especially DC where, where they had some of the more stricter uh, COVID restrictions in the country. So all, all in all, it, it's talking about just loosening it up, but not, not, having like say just saying we're not going to open everything up we're taking this slow and we're taking this day by day we're not we're not going to jump in head first so they're just like more or less testing the waters which i find to be the interesting part about all this yeah it, it was kind of expected for me uh for those who don't know, my day work i work with a local news outlet here in the area they had broke earlier in February that the old glory rugby team would be playing at, at Segra with a thousand fans. Um, and it just made sense at that point that the spirit who's going to be also a tenant at Segra, that they would also have fans. I think that also their the way they set up will be the setup for the future for Loudoun United and the spirit going forward. So if you're in Loughton and you're going to go see and you're curious and you're one of the lucky thousand, you know, go check out an old glory game, see what the protocols are like. Obviously each league has different protocols, but the general gist of how to go in, how to leave will probably be the same. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, go ahead and check that out. In terms of DC itself, you know, in the solo episode I did by myself, I rambled for about minutes about <laughs> this. But uh, the gist, if you did listen to it, was DC wasn't going to be an innovator. They were going to see what other states were going to do and then move from there. That's why I came up with the hypothesis that we weren't going to see any matches with fans until July, that possibly DC would play a couple of matches at Segra or other venues that Maryland may open up earlier than DC. Hearing that from the mayor is a total 180 to what was, was, was the original plan. And I think that what's going on is the city is seeing what the other states are doing. The city is seeing what, you know, the people, you know, states like Texas before they lifted everything allowed fans to go see games. You know, Dallas Cowboy games had a 30% capacity. You had other states that had 10 to 20% capacity. And we have not heard of any these kind of large gatherings at 10, 30, 20% causing massive spreading of the virus. So you see that you're going to see a lot of people are going to get vaccinated. And this was before uh, President Biden's speech where he said he wants to get uh, vaccines available for all adults. 
by Maine first. So when you hear this and you see this, it is calculating to suggest that rules will be loosened for for you know the Nationals, DC United, any of these outdoor teams, the Spirit included. Maybe what Richie's talking about, and this is me reading in too much, Richie's talking about when the regular season starts. Maybe, just maybe, their home opener for the season after the Challenge Cup will be Audi Field. Right, that could be it. But also, you f- you see where D- when uh, just on Muriel Bowser's statements, she's kind of following the trends of like certain places such as Los Angeles, who's recently loosening up some of their some of their COVID restrictions. If I remember correctly, uh, mostly on the when it comes to dining, but that I know that that uh, o- opening up sports venues and dining is something totally different. But it would be the best example that you could go with because. Hey, they're like if they if Muriel Bowser seeing that LA or other cities in the country are loosening their their COVID restrictions, it means that maybe we could loosen some of our own here in DC. But I think I think what you're saying that Richie Burke is expecting it mostly for like their season opener after the Challenge Cup. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly, of course. For the regular season, not the Challenge Cup. The Challenge Cup will be that's regular season, allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> so ale- regular season, allegedly, you will have fans in the stadium. And so by then, then now that would probably be a possibility. So anything is possible when it comes to when it comes to these kinds of things. You just gotta play it by ear mostly. Right. And you know, the reason I said the, the stuff in that podcast by myself was because the city had put out a layout. You know, saying this is what we're going to do. We're going to follow this to the T. And I think what's also happening is the Nats and DC United, whether they together did this or they, you know, in their separate pitches to the city, they're businesses. At the end of the day, we keep forgetting this as sports is a business. They're looking at it as like, hey, we need people in the venues. Like we, we did it last year. We were very nice. We didn't yell and cry about it when we went to other states and they have fans. Now we have to at least start, you know, the slow process, the slow burn. Um, the Nats have already been told they won't have any for body on opening day. But, you know, I don't think these teams are thinking about opening day, to be honest with you. I think they're thinking along the lines of as soon as fans are back, we're ready to go. And so I, I'm, I'm going to be just curious in how everything's going to be set up. You know, as a media member, you remember um, – Everything was set up in a certain way that MLS had already told certain employees, this is how we're going to roll out once we're allowed to be open in COVID, um, where everybody's going to be coming in on staggered times. Their ticket's going to say you can't come in till six something if it's a seven o'clock kickoff and things of that nature. You can only go to a certain gate. So I wonder if that's going to continue over. So I'm all in favor of opening but safely and interested to see if these protocols that these set up are going to also come with i mean look at texas rangers they're going 100 percent, so you know there's no protocol going into that mess so going forward I, I, i'm curious date wise i'm with you it's whenever they everybody agrees to a date i'm not i'm not you know gonna look at a calendar and be like that's when fans come back no i think is whenever the city 
and the teams feel safe enough by the environment that they can do it. Right, and if we're gonna if we're gonna play ball, if we're gonna play prediction of when this happens, I'm gonna give it either till August or September, towards the end of the of the regular season. Wow, so you're still thinking late. I'm still thinking late, but you also want to think about what if the protocol, what if they have enough protocols to open it earlier? Then I'm gonna say July. So I'm gonna say between July and September for that for fans to come back. Yeah, D.C.'s a weird one for those who haven't been following. I think only Prince George's County and Montgomery County have been the ones to be more standoffish and letting listening restrictions. As a matter of fact, I was stunned when PG loosened certain restrictions this past week um, because of COVID. So that's a good hypothesis. And I'm not going to make one because <laughs> I'm just, you know. I'm I'm just surprised we're getting a thousand people for spirit games, let alone, <laughs> let alone what's gonna happen going forward. But yeah, if you're in this area and you're thinking, what's the likelihood that I'll see a DC United game? Maybe Mars right later in the season. Maybe my prediction back in the the, the solo podcast from June July. Um, but just keep an eye on. I think it's every Wednesday. Uh, browser has these speeches. So if you're one of those people who once your local reporter to ask the question every week, that would probably be the time you want to watch a Mario Bowser press conference going forward. Right. So it it will be interesting to see, but you know, at least now we're at least we're at a place where we weren't at a year ago, where we're talking about reopening stadiums and bringing them back. One uh, competition that won't have any fans, um, is going to be the CONCACAF pre-Olympic qualifier. So we'll end this with just a quick segment on U.S. men's national team. The U.S. men's national team will be playing in the CONCACAF Olympic qualifiers this weekend. See who gets into the Olympics being held in Japan. The tournament originally scheduled to be in the United States last year has been moved to Guadalajara, Mexico. The United States, the best thing to know out of this is that the United States is in a group of death situation Normally, they'll be playing Costa Rica, Mexico, and the Dominican Republic. Yes, who sets up the worst, the, the top three teams in CONCACAF in one group? We'll get to that in a second. But, Mario, what are your thoughts on the roster or just the tournament in general? We haven't been, like, we're not here to say we haven't been keeping up with it, but this is one of those tournaments that you either know the youth kids coming in or these are the newest, freshest kids in the block and you may not know any of them. Uh, interesting. I think uh, ju- I'm not going to go much on the roster construction more as just the group construction in this tournament. <laughs> I find it fascinating that the United States is in a group of death with two other of the top dogs in CONCACAF. I think CONCACAF just like, okay, we're going to pretend this is the Hunger Games. Two of you are going to survive. May the odds ever be in your favor. I think I quoted it correctly, but it, it's uh, it, it just said it, it's interesting to see how they put them in the in these groups because Mexico has always had a really good a U twenty three team. Again, Mexico has won has won the Olympics before. They won it in twenty twelve. Co- Costa Rica, we don't know what's coming in, how they're coming into this tournament. And the Dominican Republic, honestly, not a lot of people know much about them because they're much more of an up-and-comer in CONCACAF. 
Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. Um, with this young roster, you know, I don't mind talking a little bit about what I know about this roster. Um, for those who don't know, um, Matt Freeze, he played a couple of games for the Union last year. Uh, Julian Arejo, he had a couple of minutes. Uh, he had a couple of minutes for L.A. L.A.'s always had defensive problems, but up-and-comer from their academy team, uh, you know, coming from the academy to get some first minutes. They have a couple of internationals as well. So uh, players, if I look at the <laughs> real quick, yeah, you have four guys who are currently competing in different countries outside the MLS. And that bring normally when you see the, because this tournament happens outside of FIFA dates, you normally see just MLS-based rosters. And I think that the one thing that is a beauty about this tournament and this collection of youth talent is that the majority are either youth academy players or really early exit college guys that came in and joined their MLS teams from the draft. The majority, though, are from the academies. So it shows you that something's being done right in the academy level, that they're getting U.S. call-ups. I am kind of curious. Like, I don't watch a lot of FC Dallas because D.C., but also because last year, see, you know, last year everybody stayed in their designated, you know, conference. West Coast only played West Coast, East Coast only played East Coast. Where I didn't get to see him enough of Jesus Ferreira, Ferreira, and I'm curious as to. I've heard so many good things about him. I want to see how he does. Uh, Sebastian Soto, who plays right now in Norwich City, kind of curious to see how he's doing. And what he brings, you know, the one thing in the United States we've always seemed to lack on is striker depth. You only have four guys this year, but I'm kind of want to see how they gel, how they show themselves in a situation where, like you said, we don't know what Costa Rica brings. Mexico always makes the Olympics a priority. And we don't know what the Dominican Republic will bring. One thing I do know is that the United States hasn't done well in qualifiers that they've missed out the last two Olympics, so they have no choice but to do well this go-round. In my opinion, you want to continue saying you want to build depth in your youth ranks and one thing that Jurgen Klinsmann wasn't able to do and yada, 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 yada. The conversations start here. You have to be in competitive competitions. And One thing that the 2000s can honestly say they put the Olympics as an importance because it made its youth players. It made Landon Donovan going to the Olympics in Sydney. It made their uh, Michael Bradley and Josie Altidore good players because they were able to play in important tournaments at a young age. This is where you start building that. Hell, Freddie Adu played in, played in the 08 Olympics. Exactly. You know, this is where you build your depth for future national teams. If you don't have guys that are ready to go because they didn't play enough international competition, you can only blame yourself because you didn't take international competitions like the Olympics seriously enough. Mexico's generation the past decade has been great because they have taken every youth tournament seriously. And I don't like it when I see the United States not taking the Olympics seriously, but yet our women take it so seriously that they've won the thing I don't even know how many times out of the last five Olympics. They may have won the last five. I know they didn't win last time around in Brazil. So that's what I'm saying. Is they they need to take it more seriously. 
And this is the start. You have all these players that are getting minutes on their club teams. This should be a more competitive roster. They should be able to get out of the group stage and compete for one of those two spots. Agreed. Uh, to answer your question about the U.S. women's national team in the Olympics, they've won it four <laughs> times. They won it three in a row, three in a row, 04, 08, and 2012 before they didn't win it in 2016. First time they won it was in 1996. Uh, <laughs> so there's your fun fact of the day. Yeah, I agree. They have to. They they have to qualify to the Olympics. You've missed out on the last two Olympic qualifiers. I think the one in 2012 hurt most, but that's here, neither here nor there. But you got to prove something if you want to talk about we're ready to go into the big to to compete in the big stages. You got to qualify to these tournaments. Mexico prioritizes this, and it, it's evidence because they also won an Olympic gold medal. They won it in 2012. They won it with a generation that won the Under-17 World Cup in Peru in 05. So if you don't understand the importance of how of what it of it qualifying to an Olympic to an Olympic Games, you gotta look no further than south of the border. They take it seriously and they seem to qualify every every Olympic cycle. They qualify to, to under to to uh, cat to uh, youth tournaments. Something that the U.S. For between the years of 2011 and 2012 didn't do because they also missed out on the uh on the u20 world cup in colombia in 2011 with that same general with that same group of players that didn't qualify in 2012 so yeah this is a good stepping stone to prove yourself in a world stage but you gotta qualify to it first and because i want to say because of the last two performances in the in pre-olympic qualifiers you're going into a situation where it's do or die yeah, again, we don't know what's going on in terms of how Mexico is looking. We don't know how Costa Rica is looking. But one of the things we can expect is that they will fight. And so the United States will have to come out, you know, get a point. I mean, it, may be, it may be rough, but they're going to have to go into, you know, they're playing in Mexico. You know, one of those times they didn't qualify, the qualifiers were in Mexico. So... This is one of those times where they're going to have to make up from lost ground and actually qualify and actually take it seriously, like I said, but also don't repeat the same mistakes as past teams did. You know, we can go on and on about the Sean Johnson, uh, you know. The Butterfinger <laughs> situation. The Butterfinger situation, yeah. But one thing I can't say about it is There was just that that was the best team possible, but that could have been constructed that didn't go. And one of the reasons they didn't go was during the tournament, during the group stage when the U.S. was dominating, they didn't build out the depth. And in that third match, they kept the same 11. And so they could they, they got tired out, get into the game against El Salvador and look like the weakest team there. If you get into a situation and Let's say you get to that third match. You're already qualified because CONCACAF is funny. They, they, they won't play two matches at the same time. So <laughs> they'll, they'll make sure that one game will go first so you'll know if you're qualified or not. If you get into a situation where you know you're qualified, rotate your damn roster. You're playing a tournament. You're playing a tournament that's going to be within a span of two weeks. By two weeks in, you're going to know if you qualify to the Olympics or not. 
rotate your roster when necessary. Every, you have 10 players that currently get minutes on their MLS teams, 12 p- players who were scheduled to be on this roster from the beginning back last year, and you got four players coming out of playing with their club teams from outside the United States coming in to play in this tournament. Use your roster wisely. Use all The majority of these guys are starters. Use them wisely. If you feel that you need to rotate the roster, rotate them. These guys are under 23. They have gas for days. <laughs> you can use them <laughs> to your advantage. And for God, how does this man keep getting jobs? Like, I, I need... <laughs> Is he still living off of the fame from Real Salt Lake? Like, I just don't get... <laughs> hey, man, when you win an MLS Cup at five... As a, as a, where, if you win an MLS Cup as a coach with a 500 record, I think you're capable of getting any job possible. That's just me. Jason Christ, I salute you for being a money in the bank guy, but also get it going out there and continuing to be fleecing clubs and to get this national team some money and getting jobs. But that's enough for me trashing a man from getting his job and getting his money. Uh, and that'll be enough for us. So before I, we let you go, Mario, tell the people where they can find out more about you. All right. If you want to see me talk, tr- talk about Georgetown basketball, or if you want to know all the mottos I have in life, such as live, laugh, love, I'm kidding, by the way, you can follow me on Twitter at Mario Maya one. If you want to see any of my stuff, any of my stuff or any articles that interest you from El Tiempo Latino, you can follow them to at El Tiempo Latino on Twitter. You can go on their website, eltiempolatino.com. And dog, if you absolutely need a physical newspaper, man, just walk to your local metro station. Sure. I mean, yes, in this pandemic age, why not go get a newspaper? Give some people, if we're going to support Jason Christ getting a job, I don't know why we can't support anybody else maintaining a job as well. (laughs) Otherwise, if you want to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter at Jose underscore Emma underscore Mana for more. Special shout out as always to Kevin McLeod and Patek for the intro and outro music. Remember to rate and subscribe as always on Anchor, Spotify, and all your audio platforms. Once again, thank you for tuning in to the Bad Hombres FC podcast, and we will talk to you soon. Adios.